Well, good morning once again, and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And uh, I just want to say, as I always say, thanks so much for choosing to join us online today. We know there's lots of things you could be doing, especially in Seattle when the sun comes out. Um, uh, you have chosen to be with us, and we count that a privilege and an honor, um, and we're so thankful. We want you to be able to engage in the best way possible, and although we have a lot of different ways online that you can do that, the most interactive and kind of participatory way is through our online platform, which you can find at onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. So if you're not there, we recommend you go in there. It has our live chat and Bible and prayer apps, our note section, ways to kind of connect and dialogue and hear people share verses and things that are going on. Um, it's great. So we hope you'll join us there. Today we are hitting week six of our sermon series entitled Stories of Old, where we've been looking at various Old Testament stories. And I don't know if you adults know this, but your kids have also been sticking with the same series, and they're joining us today. Um, I really wish I could see you all and say thank you, kids, for being here and for bringing your Old Testament Bible knowledge. And um, I say that because you all have been engaging in the Old Testament probably a lot more than us adults. And if you're like me, um, I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up going to Sunday school. And even when I became a Christian in high school— the church I was at did not give a lot of airplay to the Old Testament. And so um, it wasn't until much later in my walk that I grew to appreciate these Old Testament stories. And a lot of us adults, um, even that grew up in church, we kind of have avoided them. Um, and so hopefully you've been encouraged to explore the crazy goodness of the Old Testament. And kids, I want you to know there are still resources available, just as we always have, you could use to kind of engage to t today. Um, but I hope you stick with me. We have some cool videos. You'll see some of your friends as well. It should be awesome. Today, we're going to be looking at the call of Abram and how it connects to our present realities. And um, it's amazing how Brian puts these sets together and how these songs weave together the themes that are coming out today. And hopefully you heard a little bit of that already. Um, and we'll see how that moves us through our time. But before we go, um, let me pray and get us started. Father, Son, Spirit, we, we just ask that you would be with us. As we pause, as we all take a deep breath, we just recognize the closeness, closeness and the nearness of your Spirit. With each and every one of us, even though we're scattered throughout the city and in the UK and Belgium, all over, uh, you are still with us. Thank you. We ask that you would be with us as we engage your word, as we think about what this story means for us today in 2021. And um, we pray that you would challenge us and encourage us and move us to continue on the journey that you have for each and every one of us, no matter how it looks, no matter how many times we've fallen or given up or whatever, God, help us to continue moving forward with you for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin, um, we need to remember that the book of Genesis that we're going to be looking at today and the Old Testament as a whole is really designed to help us understand two main things. The first is who God is, and the second is how God relates to all humanity. So those are good things for us to learn. Who God is, how, how do we know more about God, and how God relates to us. Now if you have your Bible, if you could turn it to the first page— Genesis chapter 1. You could also use the Bible app or uh, on our online platform or just follow along. Um, 
we're going to be looking in Genesis today. In these first few verses, we see the Holy Spirit of God fully present with a world that's void of anything. And it's just blank. It's a blank slate. And God starts creating sky and land and air and sun and stars and water and animals and plants, you name it. God just starts creating all these things. And it says every time he creates these things that it's good. And then after all those things have created, God creates humans. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1, 27 through 31. My friend is going to read for us, so here we go. Genesis 1, 27 through 31. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Awesome. Thank you, Gianna. Those of you who haven't get to see people all the time, you may forget what people look like. It's so great to see people. And man, as a bald person, you appreciate someone like Gianna who's got this glorious hair growing on her. Uh, It's so awesome that she could join us. And uh, thank you for reading that. Genesis, as we just heard, starts with this kind of global story of the entire world and all of creation being created by God. And then God creates humans And the very first thing God does with them is fascinating. Did you catch it? The very first thing God does with humans is what? It says that God blesses them. God blesses them. And so one of the very first things we learn about God and God's relationship with humanity from day one is that our God loves to bless us. In fact, we see this happen over and over again in Genesis. The word bless occurs over 300 times in Genesis alone. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed by God? Which is a great question. And to get at this, we need to look at what happened here in Genesis chapter 1. What we see is that Adam and Eve were created and they were blessed. And this blessing made it so that they had this harmonious relationship with God and as a consequence with each other and all creation. They also had all their physical needs met as well as they're living in the Garden of Eden. And so this life in the garden defines what God's blessing looks like and has everything to do with our spiritual, emotional, psychological, and material aspects of our life. Everything is in right relationship with each other. God, humanity, and all creation, and everything about this blessing comes from God to humanity, not the other way around. And so we get this. It makes sense. We've, we've seen this before. Now, although Adam and Eve were created in this kind of blessed condition, we learn that their sin forfeited the blessing, and it turns to this curse. 
They no longer had a harmonious relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. And not only were their relationships affected, but also their work was filled with difficulty. Everything went bad. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis then follow this pattern of humanity, these big humanity kind of global views of consistent messing up and getting, um, and not getting to experience the blessing of God as God intended. And this leads us to the story of Abram. But first, I want us to watch a little video to kind of give us a full summary. And this is a pretty cool video. So stick with me as we watch this video talking about Genesis and where we're going today. We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat and his brothers because of this come to hate him so much so that they plan on killing him but they don't they instead just sell him as a slave down in egypt now while in egypt through this crazy series of events joseph goes from being in a prison cell 
to becoming the second in command there. And so later on, the, the whole Middle East falls into this food shortage. And Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt looking for food. And then when they get there, who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother, but God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. Awesome. Always thankful for people's creativities and abilities to help us understand the scriptures. Hopefully what you saw, though, is that blessing is one of the major themes of the book of Genesis. It's all about blessing, how it gets lost, and God's redemptive work to restore relationship and blessing to humanity and all creation. And chapter 11 ends with this whole story of humanity trying to do all of it on their own without God. By use of technology and building this giant tower to reach God, it says they're trying to make a name for themselves. That's that story of the Tower of Babel. And it's this picture of humanity choosing again and again and again to do life without God. And it never works. Now, when we think about Jesus, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off really small, very tiny, but then it grows. It takes over the whole garden. So also the kingdom of God starts small. And this is God's pattern. God starts with the tiny, tiny something, and he works from the small to the large. And this is exactly how God is going to save the world. His focus is always on the entire world, all of it, but he starts with one. And that one person is Abram. He's the start of God's rescue plan. One might call it Operation Mustard Seed, if you will. And so I think it's only fitting now that we look at this call to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. There's similar calls in Genesis 15 and 17, but they all basically say the same. And uh, let's hear this text read to us again from another one of our guests. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Awesome. Thank you, Noel. Fantastic reading. Um, so, as we heard the text, I want us to be very clear from the very beginning, and that is to understand that the goal, the target, the bullseye of God's rescue plan is that all the peoples of the world 
are taken care of, are saved, are transformed. Not some, not most, but all. This is where God starts this massive rescue mission to save the entire world from sin and restore all humanity and creation back to this blessed state that we saw in Genesis chapter 1. And a major part of this mission is implemented through the promise we just read that God makes with this one person, Abram. And it starts with God commanding Abram to leave everything his country, his community, his friends, and his family. And it's one of the keys to the promise and the blessing because God doesn't actually tell Abram where to go. God says, leave everything and follow my lead. And us kids can imagine, it's like a giant game of follow the leader between Abram and God. And it's this picture of discipleship that we see throughout the scriptures. Jesus says it like this in Luke 9, 23. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. This is basically the same invitation Abram gets, and it's how this rescue plan starts, which leads us kind of to one of our first themes, and that's this idea of being settled versus being on a journey. Abram left in faith not knowing where he was going or really even why he was going. All he knew was that God was commanding him to do so. Talk about unsettling. Can you imagine you get a word from God and it's leave everything you could possibly know, your friends, your family, your community, your country, everything. Abram, by responding in obedience, confronted both his own inner desires of human nature and the outer pressures of our culture that call us to do the opposite, right? I mean, think about it. Even if you are being sent out on a journey or an adventure, maybe kids, you go with your family, you go for a hike, never gone on it before. At the end of the day, ultimately, we want to move from the unknown to the known. We want to move from what we do not have to what we think we want and need, away from the strange and unpredictable towards the safe and the secure. That's what we do. And in our culture, promises are nice, but what we really long for is absolute guarantees, right? For us, we tend to demand clarity, and even when we have full clarity, we still respond with a timid response. But we see in Abram that he acts wholeheartedly without any absolute certainty. He goes. And so we see this metaphor of journeying is a really important radical kind of concept that's woven throughout the scriptures. It's a challenge to the dominant beliefs of our time, which long for settlement, security, provision, and placement. And so with that, some questions to consider. What are the journeys you've been called to go on, and how's it going? Have you continued on or, or have you settled down? Have you gotten comfortable? Have you kind of gotten tired and sat down for a rest thinking it would just be momentary and, and come to find out it's actually been very long term? You see, the New Testament speaks of this idea of journey in the form of discipleship as following the way of Jesus. 
the way is a metaphor that speaks of the various ways of Jesus that we're supposed to embody in the way we live. For example, the way of suffering or the way of humility or of putting others and our needs before theirs. And the way of the cross, these are all examples of the way of Jesus. And nothing is really fixed or settled as a result for the followers of Christ. It's a journey that continues for generations and generations till the ultimate promise and blessing of God that's supposed to be fulfilled for all people in all nations. It keeps going, which we'll get to in just a moment. But this leads me to another theme that we see in the story of Abram and the story of the people of God, and that's this idea of fear versus faith. How we juggle those two. In short, God promises Abram and his family that they're going to have a very critical role in God's rescue mission if they remain in right relationship with God and follow God's lead even if they don't have the details. And as we've talked about this before, this is a big deal and it's also a huge risk of God's because think about it, God could have implemented this rescue plan in any form or fashion, especially choosing not to work with human beings In a lot of ways, it probably would have been way easier for him to do so than enjoying the work of humans. And again, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are perfect examples of the proof of that because all it is is story after story after story of humanity messing up and not doing the things that God invites and calls them to do in order to flourish. And so kids, we talked about this once before, but it's like you walk into the kitchen and your parents are making dinner and you say you want to help right? And your parents know full well that if they just do this on their own, they can do it more efficiently, probably more clean, and, um, and, and stay focused. But sometimes you walk in and say, hey, mom, dad, I want to help make dinner. And your parents say, yeah, let's do this, right? Let's, let's get messy. Let's collaborate. Let's, let's work together. Let's learn and grow together. And especially if you're a young one, say five years old, and you join in this, this process, although it may get messy, you learn, you grow, you participate, and you, you join in on making an amazing dinner. Well, in this story, it's a lot like that. God is the adult, humanity is like the five-year-olds, and they're partnering together, but not to make a dinner, but to save the world, right? And it starts with Abram. And so in many ways, God chooses to put faith in us as humanity to be able to collaborate and partner in the rescue mission and is asking us to put our faith in God's promises and God's blessings. He asks, do you have faith? Do you have faith that God's way is best? I remember my daughter when she was young. She does it now a little differently. But when she was young, if she ever had the opportunity to engage in something, she would say, I do it. I do it. Doesn't matter what it was, she would want to take over and do it herself. And in the same way, it's, this is about a choice between our will and our way and God's will and God's way. And do we believe that ultimately our best is found in God's will, not our own? It's interesting to note that the word, um, the Hebrew word that's translated in our text as go, in the beginning of this call, could literally be translated as go for yourself or go for your own good. Kids, have you ever heard your parents say something like this? I'm doing this for your own good. 
right? It might not be what you think you want, but what's being done has your best in mind. That's the idea of putting our faith in God. Do we believe the things God is calling us to is for our own good and for the good of the world? And so then we think, will we in faith follow God's lead even if we don't know where we're going? Even if it means it's going to be hard or or messy or confusing or risky or scary. Even if it means being unsettled, full of change, and ultimately not our way of doing things or the world's way of doing things. Well, we trust God's will is for our good and for the good of all humanity. Or will we respond in fear? I don't know about all of you. I wonder if any of you have ever experienced the practice of a faith fall. Faith fall is a way to kind of experience a, a tangible way of what faith means. If someone stands on a, a chair or something higher up where you have some other people who are there to catch you, but you have your back towards them and, and you're closing your eyes and kind of falling backwards, right? And there's some pretty epic fail videos of people waiting to be caught. And instead of falling backwards, they fall forwards and there's no one there. But we're talking about a faith fall, right? And it's this way of kind of addressing the fear, Our eyes are closed. We're standing on top. We know there's people there. Do we put our faith in their ability to catch us? Or will fear stop us from participating? Now, as the story goes, Abram responds in faith and does as God commands. And we see in Hebrews 11, a summary of the story. It says this, By faith, Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, his wife, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and, as, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now, this summary is nice. It's true of Abram, but it glosses over the messiness of his story. It kind of paints a picture of Abram being a little bit of a superhero. And... I don't want to take away from the, the fact that he is a, a hero of the faith. But we need to be careful with this idea because at times when we hear the word he, hero, we think of someone who always does the right thing, kind of like Superman. But this is definitely not the case with Abram. And as the video touched on that we saw earlier, Abram was nowhere near perf- perfect, nor was any of his family He didn't always make the best choices. He didn't always do what was right. In fact, there were times where he acted out of fear versus faith. And we heard about that. Some examples were when Abram lied about his wife being his sister out of fear that Pharaoh would kill him to have her. And we see multiple examples where although he's given this call, he knows who's given him the call, fear wells up and he responds out of fear instead of faith. And this happens to each and every one of us. 
Our faith brings us face to face with challenges that well up fear. And we can't see the outcomes or how we think God is going to make this all work out for good. So rather than respond in faith, we respond in fear. And really all the heroes of the faith had big flaws and made big mistakes. Noah gets drunk, passes out naked, curses his son. David has all the women in the world, still sleeps with Bathsheba. Moses kills a guy. The list goes on and on. And you say, well, what's your point, Rich? Well, there are important truths to hear in this. And that first one is that it reveals that the God of the universe works with and uses flawed and sinful people. You don't have to be perfect to be used by God. God is all about using the barren and the hopeless, the least of these, to do incredible and unthinkable things. There's absolutely nothing about Abram that made him out to be something special at that time. He was just an old guy married to an old gal of which nothing much was going for them. They weren't even able to have kids. But God said, you, I want to use you and your future children to transform the world. Will you trust me and follow me on this? And God does this with all of us. God invites us to further the rescue mission, no matter your age or abilities. All God asks for is faith. Along with this, we see over and over again throughout all of the Old Testament stories that nothing can stop God's will from being done. We sang that song, Unstoppable God. When God makes a promise, it's going to happen. So the good news is that although Abraham was not perfect— and in fact made some huge mistakes along the way, ultimately his faith in God that was present with him at the very beginning never went away. When he messed up, he got back up and continued on his journey of faith. And so Abraham is an example of faith to all humanity, not because he was perfect, because there is no way we could call him perfect, but he is an example to us ultimately because he kept the faith through all of his ups and downs. He never stopped going forward on the journey of faith he was called to. And so his story is an invitation to never count ourselves out for being used by God. No matter how many times we fail, God says to us, that's okay. I still love you. I still believe in you. I can still use you. I still want to bring about my promises through you. I can still work in and through you for good. And so get up. Let's continue this journey moving forward together. Amen? And so it progresses from the very beginning with Abram, from the very beginning before that even, in Genesis chapter 1 where the blessing goes, and it keeps moving through people, through messed up people, all through humanity, through history, all the way to us. And that helps us connect what we're learning about all of this to what's going on in our world. And that's an important thing for us to think about. How does this work? What does this mean for us? And one of the things I think we need to hear is that the promises of God, the ultimate goal of God, is that we might not actually get to see it fulfilled. That's something we see throughout Scripture. And the key word there is waiting. Wait. And to be honest, there is no one who likes to wait. We all hate to wait. 
And I personally think waiting is one of the hardest things for us humans to deal with. It challenges our faith because the longer we wait, the more susceptible we are to doubt and fear, especially when it comes to promises. So you let someone borrow some money and they say, I promise I'll pay you back. How's your faith in that person's promise when you've waited for two years and you still haven't been paid back? And so another key point to this faith concept and waiting has to do with who and what we're putting our faith in. Some of the things that we have going on right now, we want this pandemic to be over, right? We want vaccines now. Do we have faith that our government will make it happen? We want this, we want that. We don't want to wait for anything, right? How long is this going to take? And the story of Abram is a story that tells us that God has a different timeline than we do. And that timeline is going to challenge our faith. Will you trust? Will you remain faithful? Will you continue the journey with God even if you don't get to see the full outcome of God's plan? Or will you try to do it on your own? Or even worse, will you give up? I heard someone describe it this way. They said, resonance is not the same as obedience, which is not like words that we typically use. What does that mean? Resonance is not the same as obedience. It means we may like the ideas, we may think the call of God is amazing, that the goals of the kingdom of God sound glorious, and we want to be a part of it for sure. We may say the ways of God are right and better than my will, but saying this Affirming this, agreeing with this is not the same as obeying it and living it out and sharing it and participating in it and making it a reality in your day-to-day life. That's what it means. And so take the pandemic, for example. It's been hard for sure on everyone, but we're talking about a year. Imagine waiting 40 years or 400 years or waiting for generation after generation after generation for the ultimate goal that was given in the call of Abram for all people to be returned to the blessing that was in Genesis 1. Imagine having to wait that long. That's hard. One of the things that makes me think about this in our day-to-day has to do with the issues of racial reconciliation. Because this call that God brings to Abraham is that all people, not some, not most, but all would be restored to a right relationship with God. And so any form of discrimination is antithetical. It goes against the gospel. It goes against the ultimate goal for all the peoples of the world to be restored. And so what we see is that any judgment on any human making them less than another, including their enemy, your enemies, or how you differ from political views, how you have different beliefs or cultural backgrounds or color of your skin or financial situations or health issues, you name it, when you do that, you're not helping the goal of God happen. And it makes us say, how long do we have to wait? God invites us to continue to trust, to put our faith in the journey God has, even if we can't see the end in sight. He says, I still need you. I need you to participate in bringing this about. God says, I know this is taking a long time, but don't give up. 
I know you have your doubts, but I need you to keep living out this faith, putting others first, blessing others, showing the love of God to all people to help bring about the kingdom of God and this blessing to all people of all nations. One day at a time, one person at a time, all of us participating in this mission. And God says, look at my track record. Nothing ever stops my promises from happening. I'm the promise-keeping God. My promises still stand. I'm going to do what I set out to do, and I want you to continue to join me in making this happen. I think that's what God's inviting us all. doesn't matter what your age is. He's inviting us into that again today. Amen? I need to stop. I want to be aware of our time. And so I'm going to invite Brian to come back. He's going to play instrumentally for a little bit. Give us some space to ponder what we've heard. And as he does, I have some questions of reflection and application I'd love your thoughts on. Kids, I'd love to hear from you as well. So maybe talk to your parents and see what questions you want to respond to as well. There's six of them. Don't feel like you have to answer all six of them. But if there's one that that connects with you and what you're thinking, um, let us know. Um, And there will be a link in the online platform to our online connection card and that would be the best way to share your thoughts so here's the questions question number one what are some of the things god has called you to that you've started to lose faith in over time maybe there's something god invited you to and you were excited about but it's taking longer there's fear or something and now you've kind of started losing faith over it number two where do you need encouragement to wait and trust god's timing Maybe it's a friend who you've been praying to come to know Jesus and, and you're like, what's taking so long? Maybe you're currently needing a job and it's been really hard. Or there's health concerns or um, you're just ready for this pandemic to be done and you're having a hard time waiting. Number three, how has fear gotten away of your faith? I mean, this pandemic is a great example of ways fear come into play and, and how we live and respond in it. But it's also important for us in the midst of fear to, to have healthy understandings and respect for what's going on. So how is fear getting in the way of your faith? Number four, where have you settled in your faith and how might God be inviting you to get back to the journey ahead? We talked about this earlier, but we get into this movement and then things start happening and then we kind of get tired or we just pause to enjoy something and that pause instead of being a short term turns really long term how might god be inviting you to get back in on that journey number five how has the story that we looked at today encouraged you in your faith today i'd love to hear that and number six finally how are you participating with god to bring about the kingdom of god on earth as it is in heaven something we're all invited to participate in. So feel free to use this space to ponder, to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, talk to your parents, to dream, whatever it is you feel called to in this time, take it. And um, I also want to note that um, if you have any prayer needs, that the prayer app is live. Our prayer team is ready to pray with and for you. All you have to do is click that request prayer button and someone on there will join in praying for you in the order in which it was received. 
I'm going to close us in prayer, and then Brian's going to play us one song um, to allow us to reflect, and then we're going to join together to sing as we close. Um, so let me close us in prayer, and then we'll continue. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for this story. It reminds us that you use us all. We don't have to have everything perfect. We don't have to have everything figured out. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to know all the directions. All we need is our faith. And we thank you, God, that you, of all people, all options we have, are the only one truly worthy of our faith. You are the only one who is perfect in your promises, faithful in your love, and always present with us no matter what. And so, God, we just confess, just like Abram, there are times where fear gets in the way of our faith. There's times where the weight has affected us. There's times where we've gotten settled and lost sight of the things you've called us to. And yet we recognize today there's so much going on in our world that needs to be rescued. Help us to bring your spirit into those things. Help us to trust you to provide and protect, um, to lead and to guide. Help us to trust your ways above ours, that we might be one of many who are involved in your mission to bring about the blessing of your goodness and your grace for all people. Thanks for being with us. We pray that you continue to be with us as close as our very breath as we move throughout our day. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.